Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under that tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took the curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, I am worn out, and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Genesis 21, verses 1 to 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was to be born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let us pray. Father God, take the seed of your word this morning. And have it serve to grow in us a deeper appreciation of who you are and what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The children who were a part of the Hebrew study in the fall, they they got to witness a Price is Right kind of moment. An Oprah kind of moment where a free car was handed out. I gave the Stikes' eldest boy, J.D., my truck at that meeting. And now I know what you're saying to yourself. I would have come to that study had I known that trucks were going to be handed out. 
And even though he can't drive yet, and honestly, you know, I love that truck. It's my favorite car I've ever had. It really is. I even love it so much, even though the, the storm dented it with the hail, and, and a, a few people have dented it along the way and borrowing it, and I've even uh, created some self-inflicted wounds. Every kind of wound and scratch and dent on that car, I think it just gives it more character. However, it just seemed like the right thing to do in the moment, in the Hebrew study, to get, give J.D. my car, and so I did it. But I did, I did have a little bit of red tape. Just a little bit. Just one, one condition. I gave it to him the same way God gave Abraham the promised land. I said, J.D., you're going to have to wait 400 years to get the truck from me. <laughs> Just like Abraham had to wait 400 years for God to give his descendants the promised land. And that's where we left it. J.D. is free to take over ownership of my truck wherever it is upon the planet Earth in 399 years and 10 months. And he wasn't all that excited. I don't know why he wasn't all that excited. Come on, J.D., that was a pretty good gift. My covenant is now in the public record, but he didn't find my overwhelming generosity all that exciting. And I don't know why. Because I've never, I doubt anybody's ever given him a truck a real truck, you know, not those toy trucks before. But he seemed to think it wasn't a generous gift. Now today, we're going to look at how God makes promises. Whether it's 400 years down the road, or in the instance of Sarah, 25 years, 26 years down the road, or even promises we won't receive in this lifetime, but the next. We're going to see how promises should really change us in this world. It should change how we wait. It should change how we look to the future. It should change how we think about even hospitality and gift giving. Abraham and Sarah had a unique life of waiting. God gave them the land, but again, as I said, it wouldn't be theirs for 400 years. And 25 years have passed by since Sarah has been promised that God would bless them, Abraham and Sarah, with a child and still no first child. And as verse 11 of chapter 18 tells us, the possibility even for Sarah to carry a child naturally has long gone away. As Elvis has left the building in one sense. At the time of the Lord's visitation, it's physically impossible. Doesn't that seem to sound like another story? that we often hear this time of year? A mother who shouldn't be able to carry a child still having a child? 25 years, however, for Sarah was a very long time to wait. 25 years ago, for those of us who can remember it, that was the year Bob Dole announced his run for president. That was the year of the Oklahoma City bombing. That was the year where O.J. Simpson was Declared not guilty. It's a long time to wait. And it's a long time to wait when you're waiting for something you really want badly. This week, uh, Bridget received a gift in our household. We have had a tradition with our girls that when they, uh, girls can read their first book of the Bible, when they, their, their ability to read uh, has advanced to that point where they can read Scripture, 
that we reward them. And for the first three girls, the reward was ears pierced, but Bridget didn't want her ears pierced, so she decided to get uh, two stuffed animal bears. So we made the order, the bears, late Wednesday night, right before bedtime. And so Thursday, of course, I'm coming down the stairs, about to have my cup of coffee, and Bridget greets me, is it here yet? Is it here yet? And for about 30 to 40 times between when we ordered it on Wednesday night and it finally arrived on, on Saturday afternoon, is it here yet, Daddy? Is it here yet, Daddy? Is it here yet, Daddy? Sarah really wanted the things she had been made to wait for. She's, in one sense, a more extreme version of Bridget. And God assured her, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. But after two and a half decades, she had battle scars. And, and some of the battle scars, honestly, she received were of her own doing, of her own design. But she is just well-worn with sorrow by the time we get to this text. And yet, on the other hand, we have Abraham. Abraham doesn't seem to, as we begin looking at Genesis chapter 18, holding on to the same kind of bitterness. There is some debate whether Abraham knew right away that this was uh, the appearance of God and two angels. For instance, as we know from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it is possible that maybe Abraham was entertaining these angels unaware However, I think Genesis 19 in Lot's circumstances is more of an example of that idea. But the biblical clues here, I actually believe, tell us that Abraham knows right away it was his Lord all along by how he responds. He, he specifically refers to this, the one individual as his Adonai, as his Lord. You don't normally address somebody passing through by a kingly title, by a... Or a political even title. And so we see from these early verses, Abraham has this rich relationship with the Lord that he is just excited about. And this relationship has changed Abraham and how he acts and how he th- what he thinks and how, what he does. He has not become embittered towards God in waiting for God. No, actually, Abraham, he bows low to God. He offers his heavenly visitors Shade from the heat of the day. He offers to wash their feet. He offers to generously give them food and drink. And, and the amounts of food he offers, that three salas of flour, that can make 60 loaves of bread. 25 pounds of bread he makes for these three visitors. And then, of course, he also takes a calf. And it seems to be his best calf. And he makes fresh steaks for them. Can you think of any other moment in Scripture, a parable maybe, where someone is so excited to be visited by someone they last saw long ago that upon their return they now kill a calf in order to have a great celebration? I'm going to wait for your answer. Somebody knows what I'm referring to here. The prodigal son. I can't help but think about the parable of the prodigal son. Abraham has a similar kind of joy. His king has come to him. The loving father, um, the king of glory, has come here with me right now and let's feast. Now is not a time for sorrow. Now is a time for joy and celebration. 
of our Lord being in our presence, our Lord, the very best of all things. And we could see from these early verses how Abraham is just a generous man. And really, he's a generous man because God has first been generous to him. He trusts in God's promises. And he's not doing these over-the-top displays of hospitality because God has asked it of him. He's just doing it because he has a genuine love of the Lord. But then in verse 9, as the three men are enjoying the feast Abraham has put on, a simple question rings out. Where is Sarah? Basically, why is she not here? I mean, here is a feast, an absolute feast. But Abraham, where is your bride? Where is your wife, Abraham? And Abraham says, she's in the tent. And we should feel the tension at this moment. It would be like if my in-laws, or maybe you've been invited over for Christmas dinner, um, and we're, we're about to have our Christmas dinner. You know, the steaks are prepared, the mashed potatoes, the gravy, all the fixings are there. We're all set to eat. And then upstairs is my wife. And she has not come down. And the question would be ringing in everybody's mind. Really, there's three options. Either Kevin's been a bozo. How was Kevin a bozo? What did he say? And that would probably be the most likely possibility. Or the guest might think, what did I do to offend Stephanie? What did I do to offend that she won't partake in this feast? Or, and this was really of the ancient world, and, and verse 11 kind of hints that this is not a possibility. There were times in the ancient world where a woman might remove herself from such a feast, but that wasn't the reality for Sarah. And so it's either A or B. It's either Abraham is in the doghouse or God is in the doghouse. And I think the passage actually strongly suggests that God's in Sarah's doghouse. But before I get there, before I, I talk about the text itself, let me explain a little bit why God might be in Sarah's doghouse. And then I'll explain the textual clues. First, God's in Sarah's doghouse because things, hasn't, things have not worked out as she planned. She likely wanted to tell God something like, don't you know, God, it's been 25 years of waiting for me? And really longer than 25 years because they tried to conceive before. Don't you know I was supposed to be holding grandbabies by now? Or even at my age, great grandbabies by now, Lord? And I don't even have a child of my own. She is a woman of the ancient world who if you don't have a child, you believe you have no future. And she believes she has no future because God hasn't honored the promises that he made in the past. That is her belief in this moment. And if you think I'm off track with my speculations, notice that God asks the question in verse 10, where is Sarah? Or verse, it might be 9. But, Where is Sarah? He asks the question. And that's almost like another time in Scripture. When God asks questions, we have to ask why he's asking these kinds of questions. So remember in, for instance, Genesis chapter 3, God says to Adam and Eve, Where are you? God's not really playing hide-and-go-seek with Adam and Eve. He knows exactly physically where they are. He's asking a spiritual question. 
I think he's doing the same thing here. He knows exactly where Sarah is. She's in the tent. But he also knows the spiritual reason behind why she's there. And I think his answer helps also firmly point to this. God knows why Sarah is hiding in the tent, and that's why he gives the answer he does, or makes the statement he does. When he says in verse 10, I will return in a year, and Sarah will be holding a son. And Sarah, hearing from her hideaway, of course, she begins to laugh. Now, before I focus on Sarah's laugh, there is actually a time where Abraham was told the same thing in Genesis 17, 17, and he also laughed. But Abraham's laugh was never criticized, rebuked. Actually, there is a sense in the biblical narrative and even in the Hebrew. When Abraham had been told this same thing by God earlier, he laughed in wonderment and marvel and amazement at who God was and how incredible he was. And really, we can see that even though Abraham's been made to wait a long time, he does not laugh at this moment because he already understands. And yet Sarah, she laughs here and she laughs born out of doubt. This is a lovely tree here. I, I, I think it's my favorite of the three years. I, I really do. I think it's my favorite tree. And so let's imagine as this tree gets taken down in about a month, I decide... I love this tree so much, I want to replant it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go outside, I'm going to dig a big hole, I'm going to put it right in, and I'm going to bury it. And you guys might laugh at that, because that would be absurd. This tree has no roots. This tree is actually dead. It's just slowly dying right now. And yet, and so that's kind of the idea behind Sarah's laugh. She, just, she doesn't believe in the awesome power of God. In the same way that God can bring dead things to life. And yet that is the story of the gospel. That is the story of our God. That our God takes us who are in one sense discarded evergreens. Dead in ourselves. And he does something incredible to create a new root system in us through the power of the Spirit so that we might draw upon him. And so... As God encounters Sarah's doubts, he puts his exclamation point on his promise by saying it yet again. I will return to you next year and Sarah will have a son. This dying evergreen will have new life. And Sarah, of course, does what we love to do. When she's called out on her sin, she lies in order to defend herself. And God firmly reiterates, no. Stop lying. You've laughed at me. In most human relationships, um, when somebody is laughing at you, making fun of you, lying boldly before your face, normally at that point you do away with the individual. But that same is not true for God. And the Lord ends up visiting Sarah in chapter 21. Once the promise has been fulfilled... And there is no talk of distance between Sarah and God anymore. No more lies, no more doubts, no more anger. No, rather, Sarah is a woman enveloped in sheer joy. Because God, in his own timing, 
has been good to Sarah, giving her a son, giving new life to her. She even names her son Laughter Abraham and her. And Isaac is really the Hebrew word for laughter after a joke. And a similar day is coming for all of us who believe God will deliver us. And brothers and sisters, in chapter 21 of Genesis, have you noticed how the passage ends here in Genesis 21? This is actually really a nativity scene. It's the most unique Old Testament nativity scene where God came to a woman who should not have been able to have a child and to her faithful husband and blessed them through his kingship and he has given them a reason for joyous laughter. If not for the later nativity of the New Testament, this would certainly be the greatest nativity in the Bible. But there is a greater nativity in Scripture where a child of greater promise and greater importance brings greater joy than that of Isaac, even though he was related to Isaac. He would become king of us all and allow us to be adopted by the greater Abraham, his father in heaven, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So remember, Christian, God does amazing things in this life, reasons for us to have joy, hope, peace, and love in all and any circumstances. Yet when he does these things, he does them on his own timetable, his own plan, his own schedule. But hear this good news. There is a child who has been born to a woman who should have never been able to have him. That gives us all great cause for great joy and laughter. Yet the child of the greater nativity is not Isaac, but Jesus Begin to melt away any and all anger you, must be, you might be clinging to before the Lord in order to more warmly and richly and joyfully embrace Him. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, the Lord over the nativity, we thank you that in Sarah and Abraham, In Isaac, we have a foretaste of the beautiful fruit of faith. Help us to have faith, a more firm faith, in the foundation of Jesus Christ our Lord. To more fully trust in him as our Lord and Savior. As the child of great promise who frees this land and gives it great joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.